Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Appreciate you guys. Hey, if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm chapter 73, and we're going to kind of put a little bit of a, an end to our summer short series, but this is also kind of a standalone thing that we're doing, and so it ties in together, but it's kind of on its own. And, and uh, this morning, I want to look at one passage of Scripture and just walk through this briefly. Uh, and it starts, it's a guy named Asaph that writes this, and if you're not familiar with Asaph, a lot of times when we get into the Psalms, we just think, well, David wrote all of those, but he didn't. You'll notice sometimes at the top, there's different authors, different people who contributed, uh, and Asaph is one of those leaders who contributed a lot. He's a worship leader in Israel. And as we're talking about worship today and introducing a worship leader for our church, I thought it was appropriate to kind of talk about uh, Asaph and some of his thoughts. Uh, but this is a guy that when, uh, when temple worship was being re-implemented uh, in, uh, in the uh, Old Testament, that Asaph was brought in to help bring corporate worship to the temple for the people of God. Uh, and so he writes a lot of the Psalms. In fact, there's enough writing there that he kind of, in the New Testament, he outwrites guys like James uh, and even Peter to some degree as far as words go. And so Asaph writes quite a bit in the Psalms and he's pretty prevalent, but most of us don't know a whole lot about him. And so this morning I want to look at one thing that he wrote and see a little bit of his heart and a little bit of some of the things that he was dealing with. Uh, because for us as a church, the last month, last three weeks, we've been talking about some Old Testament prophets and things that they were dealing with in their relationship with God, uh, specifically when they looked out at the world and saw violence and oppression and injustice and all the different things that were happening around them and asking questions like, well, God, when all that's going on, where are you? And why don't you intervene? And why don't you just put a stop to this? And, and why don't you step in immediately and make something happen instead of letting evil people or wicked people uh, have their way in the world? And so Asaph is going to pick up on a similar theme in that, but he's going to give us a really uh, important perspective as Christians to really understand how we should feel about some of these things. And so I want us just to read through this passage together, and we're going to stop intermittently and address some things. But here's uh, Psalm chapter 73, beginning in verse 1. He says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, right? And so just early on, and if we're going to be honest, and I'm so thankful the way that Scripture is written because it's just honest, it's brutal sometimes, uh, it's not going to pull any punches. It's one of the reasons that I believe that Scripture is true is because it's not some... Um, Something that's just painted to be like all, everything's sunshine and rainbows all the time and the world is all perfect all the time and isn't God great all the time and isn't religion just the perfect thing all the time. Like he's going, there's stuff around me that I become uh, very envious of when I look out at the world and I see wicked people succeeding. And I don't know if you've ever felt like that before and he's going to go deeper with this thought about going, hey, there, there are wicked people in the world and they seem to be doing just fine. And nothing's happening to them. They're not getting any of their just desserts, none of the, the justice that they deserve. And so when I look at them, why should I keep following this God who has these things in place in my life that are, maybe you see them as restrictive, maybe you see them as, uh, as oppressive in some way, but you're going, but the wicked, they don't have any of that and they're thriving and doing just fine. So what's going on in my relationship with God? Why should I follow him? And so I look at the wicked and I'm envious of the way they live. That's what Asaph is saying. He, sa he goes on, verse four, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. 
right? And so his perspective is going, and maybe you've done this before, where you just look at everybody else and go, well, their life is perfect. They have no problems. I'm the only one that seems to have any problems or issues, right? He's just looking at these guys, and it's not true. They get sick, and they have issues, and they're dealing with things. But when he looks at it from an outside perspective, he goes, well, they're wicked, and they're evil, and they're doing all these terrible things, and yet it seems like their life is just perfect. And maybe we look at some other people, and maybe we judge, and we go, well, their marriage is perfect, and mine struggles. Their job is perfect, and I don't like mine. Their house is nice, and I don't like where I live. Whatever it is that you look at and go, and they're doing this, and they're perfect, and my life is crumbling and falling apart. And so that's basically Asaph. He's looking at some things and going, I don't like what I see out there. So verse 6 says, Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. For their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. I wanted to just stop there because I know a lot of you have just recently seen uh, uh, this movie, uh, The Sound of Freedom, that's out. And I've heard from a lot of you going, have you seen it yet, Pastor? Have you gone to see it? And I haven't yet. I want to. But everybody that I talk to goes, man, it's so hard to watch, but it has this great ending and it's got this great message to it. But you think about these things. And I was having a conversation with somebody else at our church last week about uh, child trafficking and, and sex trafficking and all the different things that happen in our world. And, and even people who are being kidnapped for them to to take their lives and harvest their organs. And you're just going, how do people even come up with those ideas? Where does that kind of evil and wickedness come from? And yet Asaph is telling us right here, the callousness of their hearts comes from their iniquity, comes from their sins, and their evil imaginations have no limits, right? Like evil doesn't have a stopping point. If it wasn't for the goodness and the grace of God to stop evil and to put things in its place and to put things in its proper perspective, our wickedness, our evil imaginations can take us to the farthest extremes of human oppression. And so he goes, this is what I see. I see the evil imaginations that have no limits. They scoff, they speak with malice, with arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. And they say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? So their perspective is, God's not going to do anything about my evilness, my wickedness, my, uh, my sin. He's not doing anything. Is he even watching? He's not. I don't think God's even out there to do anything about this. So they're just going to go on and on in their wickedness. So he says, this is what the wicked are like. They're always carefree. They go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure, and I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. But when I tried to understand all these things, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. And so this is an important turning point for Asaph. And this is where I want us to kind of think and land just a little bit this morning is this, that when he goes to the house of worship, when he goes to a place where he puts himself in the presence of God, he goes, all of a sudden, some things that were murky in my mind, some things that didn't make sense to me, all of a sudden became really clear. I got this new perspective. When I saw the evil in the world, I was attracted to that, and I thought, well, they're getting away with everything, and they're just doing whatever they want, and there's no repercussions for them, and there's no problem for that. But then when I put myself in the presence of God, and I saw his holiness, and his righteousness, and his goodness, and his glory, and his grace, I started to understand that he is going to do something about evil in the world that he is going to move forward in these things. And so he says, Surely, God, you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruins. How suddenly they're destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They're like a dream. When one awakes, when you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered, 
I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, yet I am always with you. You hold me by your hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, and he is my portion forever. Those whom are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, God, it's good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your deeds. And so when Asaph writes these things, he's really giving us this perspective of going, man, let's figure out who God is and what it looks like to worship him. And here's the thing that I want you to see. And if you're taking notes this morning, just the first thing on your outline is this, that biblical worship always puts the focus on God. It always exalts him in all circumstances. No matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's going on in your life, biblical worship always puts the emphasis and the focus on God. It exalts him. And when we put the emphasis on us, when we look at all the evil in the world, when we put the emphasis on that, it's easy to worship other things. This is where idolatry really comes in. Then we go, if I take my attention and my focus off of God, if I make something else the focus of my worship, then I can easily go toward that and make it an idol. I mean, C.S. Lewis, I think, is the one that said, our hearts are idol-producing factories. Like, we are designed and wired by God to worship why anywhere you go in the world, no matter if you step onto a random island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean that's never seen anybody else before, they will have things that they worship because it is ingrained in human nature, no matter where you are, to worship things. We are wired for that. We are built for that. It is something that God put inside of us to draw us to himself. And when we make the, the, the uh, focus of our worship other things, eventually they're going to lead to a place where you go, that's empty and it's worthless. And really, that's what worship is. The key uh, root of the word worship, and this is the next thing on your outline, is this, that worship is about prioritizing worth. That's kind of the key word in the middle of that. It's the worth-ship that we put on something. So no one has greater worth than God, and he alone is worthy of worship. So when we come to a place of worship, we're saying, God, everything else that we have in our life fails in comparison with you. And when I look at the world and I'm asking, what are you doing about it? And when I get caught up in all these things that don't seem to make sense, the best thing that I can do is bring myself back to a place where I submit to you and put myself in your presence and ask you to show me truth. Because it's easy for me to get sidelined and and sidetracked by some other things. To go, that's valuable, that's of worth, that's important. Whether it's money or whether it's fame or whether it's popularity or sports or entertainment or relationships, whatever it is, we can get sidetracked by those things and take the worth and the value and the attention off of Christ and off of God. Um, Louis Giglio has one of my favorite definitions about worship. And, and when we think about this, one of the things that, that kind of comes in, especially when we come to a service like this, uh, that's a little bit of a misnomer. We talk about worship and everybody goes, oh, well, worship singing, right? Like that's the worship. We did the worship part of the service and now we're on to the message part of the service. No, no, no. It's all worship, right? When we pray, it's worship. When we fellowship, it's worship. When we take communion, it's worship. When we sing, it's worship. When we read the word of God, it's worship. When we teach the word of God, it's worship. When we go to lunch today, we can do that in worship because we keep our focus and our attention on Jesus Christ. When you go home this afternoon and have conversations with your neighbors, that can be an act of worship if you bring Christ into the center of it and keep the focus and the attention on him. Like anything that we do can be an act of worship. Worship is a 24-7, 365 thing that we do in our lives. It's not just when we come together and sing. 
And so Louis Giglio's definition is this, worship is our response to God, both individually and corporately, for who he is and for what he's done. That it puts us in a place of going, when I'm alone individually and I worship, I want to see God for who he is and what he's done, and I want to respond to him appropriately in that. When we come together in corporate worship, we want to put the focus on God and we want to respond to him appropriately for who he is and for what he's done. Worship is keeping the focus and the attention on Jesus and seeing the value in him above everything else and saying, I want to put all of my focus, all of my attention, all on you. It's not just about what we sing. And when we do that, we can easily kind of get to a place where we go, okay, well, then here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to critique worship. There's a thing that you need to understand when it comes to worship is that it's not about you. And one of the things that I find when I talk to people a lot of times, and especially when we talk about the music that we do or whatever else, or even the messages that we have, like I'm always thankful when people come by and say, great message today, Pastor. That's always encouraging and edifying. But you could also walk by and just go, well, that really stunk today. Uh, that was terrible. You should have probably stayed in bed. Like, and I wouldn't care one bit about that because here's the deal. I'm not preaching for you. I'm not teaching for you. I'm not worshiping for you. I'm, it's for God, right? It's his glory. He's the one that's the center of attention. And so when we do things, it's not like when you leave here, you go, well, I didn't like the songs that we sang today. I wish we did different songs. That was, those were not my favorite songs. They're not for you. We're not singing any of those songs to you. We're singing them to God. Well, I don't like the, the, the way that we do some song. I wish we did more hymns. I wish we had that. Or if we do hymns, we do them in those contemporary styles of hymns. Why do we do that? I wish we did the old stuff. And it's like, it's not about you. It's about God. It's about the heart that we bring and how we sing those things out and how we respond to his word when it's taught and how we take communion and how we fellowship together. It's not about you. The, the consumer mentality in the American church has gotten us to a place where we come to church and we go, I want all of this to feed me, and if I don't leave here entertained today, I'll probably just go find another church that will entertain me. Listen, if that's your mentality, just skip church on Sunday mornings and go to the movies. We are not here to entertain you. We are here to worship and magnify the God of the universe. He's center stage. His word holds power. He's the one who died for our sins. It's his glory that we hold high. It's not about any one of us. And so if we ever come into this place and go, well, I wish he preached more New Testament messages. Well, I wish he preached more Old Testament messages. Well, I wish we did this kind of song. Well, I wish we did communion every single Sunday. Well, I wish, it's not about you. And so the heart that we bring into worship, so many times we come with this place where we're just like, I want to be the center of all of this. And it's not about you. Worship is about him. And so when we think about that, it's interesting this morning as we get to this place that we're actually introducing someone who holds the title for our church on our staff of worship pastor and creative arts pastor. Uh, especially because most of the the job description of a worship pastor in the church is to lead people in singing. And so we, again, attach that to go, well, that's the singing part, right? So he's the person who leads us in singing. Uh, it's not necessarily that. One of the things that we're doing in this hire that we've made is that we want somebody and we've found somebody who's going to help us know when we collectively come together, when there's corporate gatherings for worship, that we keep the focus and attention on Jesus. 
that we build worship services, that we do things corporately that helps keep our focus and attention on him and that keeps moving us forward as a church body collectively, corporately into a deeper love of God. And then when we come here, the services are designed through our music time, through the creative arts times, through videos, through all the imagery that we see, through anything that we do up here on stage, and even into the outside area when we're going, hey, man, how do we engage with people in our lobby area? What happens when we're drinking coffee together? What does it look like when we fellowship together? And all of the things that we do, we build these times, these gatherings together, not to entertain you, but to hopefully put us in a space where we're able to strip away everything of us and put all the focus and attention on Jesus. And so that's why I'm excited this morning to have the opportunity to introduce you to the person who's going to be helping us with our staff team build those kinds of of opportunities when we come to corporate worship uh, and to do that together. But before I introduce you to him, I want to just say a couple of thank yous. Um, Number one, thank you to you guys as a church. Uh, It has been a long journey, much longer than we ever thought that we would be without uh, a a full-time worship pastor, creative arts pastor on our staff team. Uh, When Kyle Thurman left in October two years ago, this October will be two years that they've been gone, uh, we just never assumed that it would take us two years almost to hire somebody new to to fill that space on our team. And so you all have been so patient uh, and have just let us go through this process. And we've tried a lot of different ways to find the right person. And every step along the way as we've done some things, we've just been going, God, we're just trusting you. We're trying to find where we're supposed to be. And we just have prayed, if this is not the right step, if we're not going the right way, if it's not the right fit, then close doors. And multiple times along the way, God absolutely just shut doors that we thought were going to be open. Listen, I thought two different times we had made a hire for our church for this position. And both times at the last minute, it was just like slam door. That's not the right way. The person backed out or something changed or there was a, a situation that was just God saying, no, that's not right. Don't move forward in that. And so that was so frustrating to me uh, and, and just going, oh man, I feel like I'm just beating my head against a wall trying to hire somebody for this role. And so, uh, so thank you, number one, for being patient with us. Uh, we appreciate that. The elders and the staff have been praying for two years for the direction that God's going to lead us in. And thank you for your patience as we've done that. Number two, I want to say thank you to those who have been leading us in worship for these last couple of years. Uh, MK did a great job in an interim role for a while. Uh, if you weren't here during her tenure, she, uh, she did a great job for about a year. And then over the last eight months or so, we've had a rotation of guys that have been kind of leading worship with us. Uh, Brian Henderson, Aaron Henderson, Phil Owen, Ryan McCollin, and Ellie Malcolm this summer as she's been home has stepped in and led worship a few times. And so I just want to say thank you to those guys. And if you guys as a church wouldn't mind just saying thank you to them by giving them some applause. They just did a great job of every week putting teams together, building worship teams, being, uh, being here to lead us and, and help us to engage with God in some different ways. And, uh, and I appreciate so many of you uh, were, were very gracious in saying, man, I, just, I actually like this rotation of people that we kind of have. We hear different styles all the time. We hear different people all the time. And so that's nice. Uh, and I'll tell you that that's not going to change 100% as we make a hire for this position. Um, as we think about this, w- one of the things that we've told this person is that, hey, listen, we don't expect you to be on stage leading us 52 weeks a year. I don't preach 52 weeks a year. We build teams around here. We try to lead through team. And so, uh, so we try to give leadership away and we try to build up other people to lead. And so 
these guys that have been leading us, they'll still be in a rotation of people that are, that are going to be a part of our worship ministry and our worship team and leading us on Sunday mornings in those ways. Uh, so thank you to those guys. Then I want to say thank you to, uh, to Nelson Butterworth and to Steve Strasner. Nelson is our tech and AV uh, staff person. He sits in the back. You guys never see him, uh, but he's back there. And then Steve Strasner is our deacon over our worship ministry and leading out with just supporting guys who are on these teams and, and just encouraging people and, and building into them. And so I want to say thank you to you guys in your leadership throughout this season. Uh, so grateful to you and, uh, and really appreciate you guys both. And so thank you. Um, yeah, absolutely, please. And then, now I want to just take the chance to introduce you to, uh, to the person that God's brought to us. And here's what I'll say. When we um, look at things for our church, one of the things that we always attempt to do, if possible, we love to hire from within our church to raise up leaders. We're a disciple-making church and we believe that the best way that we can invest in the next people who are coming up as leaders, the next generation of leaders, is to invest in discipleship. And so about eight months ago, God brought someone to our church that started just worshiping here with their family and, uh, and attending and being a part of this and then getting involved with our student ministry, being involved in live groups, getting involved in worship and leading out here. And, and over the last few months, there's just been uh, a pretty obvious kind of direction from my mind and pointing toward this person to say, man, he has just done everything that we've ever asked to do. He does it with excellence. Uh, he fills out the job description that we also put out uh, that entails our uh, video editing, creative uh, media, all of the different things that you'll see around here when we, stuff that's on screens, anything that we do that's promotional in, in nature, any of that. Uh, he's a graphic design background artist and so, uh, so does some incredible things with that and, uh, and so just fills out the job description perfectly uh, for being able to lead in worship, being talented in that way in uh, the musical aspect and then in the worship and creative arts. And so, uh, so this morning, I'm really excited to be able to introduce you to somebody that a lot of you already know. He's been here with us and in fact played guitar on the youth team this morning. His name's Ryan McCullough and I would like you guys to welcome him as our new worship and creative arts pastor. Awesome, man. Hey, welcome, Ryan. We're so glad to have you here with us, and I'm going to give you a stool to sit on right there. We're just going to talk for a few minutes, because I want you guys to get to know Ryan. Uh, a lot of you will uh, sometimes just see him up here leading us in worship, and he's been around for several months, like I said, but we don't get to know uh, some of the guys that are up here other than just to be like, oh, they're talented, or they play guitar well, or they sing well, or whatever. So we want to get people a chance to know you a little bit this morning. So, man, if you would, just start by, tell us a little bit of, of your story, uh, of your, your background, and, uh, and, and maybe even just how God brought you to grace. Yeah, it's on. All right, cool. <laughs> uh, well, back in 1979, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I grew up in California. Um, sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, it was a great place when I was young uh, to grow up. And uh, I, I grew up in a Christian home, and I went to uh, school in Christian school up until about fifth grade. Um, and we... Um, just had a great family life and uh, learned a lot about God growing up. And then uh, in junior high, my parents threw me to the wolves and were like, you're going to public school. <laughs> and uh, so I got uh, thrown to the wolves in public school and learned what it was like to go to public school. And um, it was enlightening, to say the least. And uh, God really worked on my heart through that and, and showed me ways that I could um, share with my peers, you know, the love of Christ, even though uh, that wasn't the... <laughs> the basic uh, kind of feel in junior high. But anyway, all that to be said, uh, when I got to high school, I was going to church, and uh, 
we didn't have a worship team. And uh, I, was, I went to camp, and, and I was like, man, live worship is so awesome. Because we were worshiping like cassette tapes at the time. And uh, live worship, there was just something about live worship that really stirred my heart. And I was like, I really want to be able to have that at our church. And mm-hmm. so uh, a friend and I learned to play guitar after that and uh, started leading worship for our high school uh, worship team. And uh, I just continued through um, until today, um, playing worship and uh, learned a lot from tons and tons of different worship teams that I've been on and, and lit, led. And uh, that also led me into becoming a youth pastor. Um, it was probably 2000 and uh, probably around 2005 or so, um, I became a full-time uh, youth pastor. And from there, became an associate pastor in California in San Bernardino. And... Uh, was associate pastor there for for years and led worship there and uh it was like it was the most amazing opportunity that I could ever have and I think it, it rewinding back I talked to my pastor when I was a young kid I was I was probably probably uh just just at the tail end of high school and I was like man I feel God is calling me to be a pastor and he was like oh yeah and that was all he said <laughs> <laughs> and uh and I actually shared this with another student here who's, who's interested in the same path. And what, what, what he was getting at is, show me. Show me. And uh, so over time, he, he showed me what that looked like and, and modeled that for me and then uh, gave me the, the opportunity to serve in the church and, and built, built me up into the point where uh, when it came time and the church was in need, uh, they were able to hire me as, as a youth pastor. And so it was really cool just the process from being at the church from when I was 13 all the way to in, in you know, my, my 40s, going to the same church and serving, and it was pretty, pretty special. Um, he, the head pastor ended up passing away just before COVID, and I uh, went through a pretty rough time. Uh, one of my students was hit by a drunk driver. Uh, one of the elders also passed away right within, like, months of each other, and then COVID hit. <laughs> and so it was just like, one thing after another, and our church closed, and so it was like kind of in this like tailspin of like, what is going on here? And through all the frustration of living in California through the pandemic and um, just all the things going on, we decided like it was best for my my wife. Also had a brief stint with uh, with anxiety and stuff like that before COVID, and uh, all the stuff with the teachers there in California kind of led to that and the commuting. But anyhow, we uh, we transitioned into like just praying over um, just what to do, and it, it became pretty clear that God wanted us to move, and we didn't want to move because we we're really close to our church and our family at the time, and uh, so we just faithfully kind of just kept praying about it, and it was like, okay, it's pretty clear He wants us to move, and so we decided to move, and. Uh, I was like, what do I do after the church closed? So I started doing graphic design business because that's where I originally started as a young person wanted to do. And I was like, well, I've always wanted to do it, so we might as well try it. And so God is faithful, and it was working out fine. I'd been doing that for, I think, around five years, uh, freelancing and doing graphics. And um, all that to be said, like, I wasn't necessarily coming here to look for a job. I wasn't coming here 
to escape necessarily anything, but just kind of following the call. And uh, then when I got here, they were like, hey, we're looking for a worship pastor. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, but they had a few people in line already. They were interviewing and I was kind of like hesitant because I didn't want to get in the way of anything that was already going on. And so as time progressed, I would just check in with Joel and I'd be like, hey, what's going on with the worship pastor spot? And uh, he was like, oh, yeah, we're interviewing a couple guys. I'm like, awesome, you know, and and I kind of kept it at that because I didn't want to force my way in um, to the spot. But anyhow, um, God is good, and uh, he's been faithful all throughout my life um, in worship. And worship has been um, just a huge part of just all the way from probably 16 years old all the way to today, uh, a huge part of my faith and, and desire to, to serve in the church and stuff. So it's great, man. Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that I appreciate about Ryan is just his humility. He, he really would. He would come into my office multiple times and just go, hey, how are things going with the worship pastor? And be like, well, yeah, we're, trying, we're talking to people and we're interviewing people and we think we're close with somebody. And he'd just be like, great. And he never once said, well, I would kind of be interested in that if there was a, a, you know, a, a space to interview. And so uh, he just never wanted to kind of force himself into that, that spot. And yet, like I said, God just kept closing doors along the way until it became obvious that this was the door that he was opening. And, uh, and so we've tried to just walk through that, but it's been in God's timing and, and in his, his way. It was much different than I had anticipated, but, uh, but I'm grateful for your humility and your patience in, in that and seeing where God's led us now. So that's really cool. Uh, hey, you've mentioned your family. Tell us a little bit about your family. You've got a wife and three kids, so introduce us to them. I wish I had thought to have you bring a picture that we could put on screen, but you guys will get to know his family, but uh, tell us a little bit about yeah. them. So I was lucky enough, um, in 2001, I married my wife, Ashley, um, and she's like, I don't know, just Proverbs 31 all day long, (laughs) (laughs) an amazing wife and uh, just a great person and and has a heart that's just huge. And she's actually back working with kids right now. Um, But yeah, just an amazing, amazing wife. And then uh, three boys, I have Ezra, who's right here, 19, 19, uh, Caleb, who is 17 and and Levi who is um six (laughs) so yes I'm on the lifetime parenting plan (laughs) I can't wait to be at his high school graduation and like is that your grandson no it's not (laughs) that's awesome we so Caleb was playing drums this morning he's in our youth band and plays drums he's plays uh, DB and in the drum. Uh, no, he plays trumpet. DB, trumpet, right? Yeah. yeah. So we actually told around, we we're like, we're really hiring you so we can keep Caleb because he's really talented. <laughs> and so that's the, uh, that's the reason we're hiring you. But uh, yeah, man, that's awesome. You guys will love to get to know his family. They're, they're incredible and can't wait for you to get, build some relationships with them and appreciate that. So a um, couple of minutes that we have left here before we, we wrap some things up. Uh, what has maybe private worship and corporate worship? When we talk about these, these gatherings, uh, what, is, what does worship look like in your life, in a kind of a private setting, in a corporate setting? What does that really mean to you? Well, it, it encompasses every aspect of life, really. Um, I think when I think about worship um, and what it means, uh, a lot of times we, you know, in our, in our, in our alone time, um, just dwelling on the Spirit and holding uh, the Spirit in our heart and just thinking about, like, just trying to practice the presence of God at all times, I guess, is a good way to put it. Um, one of the things that I'm reminded of is in Genesis 4, um, the story of Cain and Abel, and uh, just their offerings that they brought before the Lord. And I think a lot of times we get wrapped up in what well, Cain's offering versus Abel's offering. And, and really, I think if you boil it down, you go into Hebrews and you realize like it was with the offering, but it was more of the condition of the heart in the offering. 
And I think that that's a huge part is that we're constantly conditioning our heart um, to practice the presence of God and to focus on God and think about him at all times and, and really work on, like, where is my heart right now? And I think sometimes you can come to church or to the stage and you can be focused on the wrong things. Maybe, maybe you had a rough morning. Maybe you got up and your tire was flat or you didn't have anything to wear or your kids were driving you crazy or whatever, and you get here and you're just, just frustration. And I think if we're in that spot of frustration, I think it's important just to slow down, take a deep breath and say, all right, I'm here for, for the Lord. I'm here for God and, and just focus in on that. So, That's great, man. So good. Uh, well, here's how I want us to close our time up together this morning. We're gonna, I'm going to ask any of our uh, staff or elders or deacons, if you guys would mind, we're going to just pray over Ryan and, uh, and ask God's blessings over the start of his ministry, his begin start date with us is August 1st. And so, uh, so next week he'll be jumping in with us uh, on a, a full-time capacity. And so uh, we just appreciate your support and your prayers for him and his family as they're kind of rolling into this new position. And, uh, and Ryan's jumping into that. He's got to learn how to work with some crazy people. I mean, Kyle down here, I mean, just a little bit wild. And so, right. Um, they're all from California now. So I don't know what we're going to do about that. I'm not sure why God keeps bringing us California people for our staff team, but he does. And uh, we're just living in grace, man. So it's yeah. good. Kyle, but, Kyle was just saying that. He was like in the back and he was like, man, isn't it crazy that we live like 30 minutes from each other, like the entirety of our lives. And now we're both in Tennessee serving together right? in the same church. Yeah, pretty wild. You didn't know each other before though, right? <laughs> no, yeah, that's so weird. So random. So, all right. Uh, so if you are one of our staff or deacons or elders, I'd love for you to come up and just, we're going to pray over Ryan and, uh, and just spend some time praying for him and, and asking God's blessings and favor over his, uh, his ministry. And, uh, and then we'll be dismissed. So thanks for being here with us in church. We'd love for you just to pray alongside of us and, uh, and to do that. In fact, I'm going to ask Kyle, if you will, man, would you just voice our prayer for Ryan this morning? Everybody here? We all present and accounted for? (laughs) Well, Father God, uh, we're here because of you, and we're grateful for you first and foremost, God. You um, have translated us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And God, if there's um, any capacity we have to worship, it's because you have stooped down and picked us up out of the, the muck and the mire out of our guilt and out of our shame, and have seated us, your word says, in the heavenlies with Christ. We've clothed us in the righteousness of Jesus, not of our own. And So God, as we consider this concept and topic of worship, it's you who we worship, God. It's you who deserves all the glory, the honor, and the praise. And um, God, as Ryan goes forward in this new leg of his journey and um, walking forward in his calling, I pray, Lord, that that would just con- be continue to be the uh, the mark and the overhanging theme is that you uh, are to be glorified to the highest extent and in every way. And God, as we follow and walk alongside Ryan uh, in this life that we are to lead full of worship, I pray, God, you would match our hearts to that, Lord, that we would be um, singularly focused on your glorification in every area and arena of our life. God, if it's work, if it's parenting, um, if it's... um, places to serve in church like in the back with the kids or uh, in the in the booth or anywhere God may we consider everything we do worship Um, and so I thank you God for bringing Ryan we pray Lord that you would have your hand over him and his family just for protection and provision God we thank you for bringing them here Um, and uh, side note thanks for getting us out of California also Lord 
Uh, would you just be glorified through his time and ministry here? I thank you. And I just have seen already his heart for discipleship and development in the student ministry and in the kids ministry. And God, we're really excited to see how you're going to use him in our midst and how we get to partner alongside him. So we love you, Lord, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.